Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Today's episode is Greenhouse Jungle, starring Ray Milland and Bradford Dillman. This is episode two of season two. This episode was directed by Boris Segal, that's Peggy Bundy's dad, and written by Jonathan Latimer. The original air date was October 15th, 1972, and the runtime was 73 minutes. Let's get right to the episode summary. In order to gain access to Tony's trust fund, Tony and his uncle Jarvis Goodland stage Tony's kidnapping. Jarvis double-crosses Tony by killing him and attempting to frame his philandering wife. The setup. Just stay put, lady. If he pays up, no hard feelings. If he don't, we'll be in touch with you. Get in touch? What is this? Incredible. Yeah, the man is uh, Tony's uncle, Jarvis Goodland, uh, played by Ray Milland. And he's trying to disguise his voice by holding a hanky up, but he sounds exactly like he does for the rest of the episode. So Mrs. Goodland gets up and checks Tony's bedroom, and it hasn't been slept in. Apparently they sleep in different rooms. She rummages through his desk and gets his former secretary's phone number and calls her. And there's a fantastic signed headshot of Tony on his desk. Gloria West, which is a great name, is uh, his ex-secretary. She's reading a self-help book when Mrs. Goodland calls. Um, and she denies the insinuation by Mrs. Goodland that uh, there was a relationship between her and Tony. And she says she doesn't know where he is. And uh, when they hang up the phone, you'll see Gloria has almost the exact same headshot of Tony on her desk. So now Mrs. Goodland calls Tony's Uncle Jarvis, the one who just phoned her with the hanky in front of his mouth. Um, she seems to have an adversarial relationship with him. He suggests that she wait an hour, and if Tony doesn't show up, she should call the police. Just kind of weird advice. Um, they hang up, and we see that Tony is in the room with Jarvis. What kind of plan are these two cooking up? So Jarvis and Tony... They drive off in separate cars and they arrive at this cabin in, I don't know, the Hollywood Hills or something. Uh, Jarvis begins questioning Tony about his role in the plan to see if he remembers what he's supposed to do. I guess Tony seems like a bit of a numbskull, so I think he's just trying to confirm that he's not going to F it all up for them both. They drive to a remote area in the hills and roll Tony's Jaguar down the side of a cliff as if he was involved in a, a car chase. Uh, they even fake shooting uh, through the windshield like a bullet hole. Um, and then they just push it off the cliff. The Columbo intro. So the next day, 
Columbo arrives at the scene of Tony's car wreck in the hills. This is the first of two or three episodes throughout the series that will feature a detective Fred Wilson tagging along with Columbo. Uh, I feel like he's John J. Wilson in a later episode, but either way, it's the same character. Um, I think they might have messed about it with his name. Um, so he's this young detective out of the academy, and he's supposed to be learning how to be a great detective from Columbo. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, we're in early season two here, so it's kind of like the show was still trying to find its way and see if it would be a better dynamic to have, you know, a buddy set up with the, the young, uh, fresh out of school, naive cop uh, versus Columbo, who uses low tech ways, but his instinct and his brains more. I don't know. It doesn't work very well. Uh, the dynamic's not that great. Uh, there are, they try and make it a little bit funny. They have Columbo and uh, Detective Wilson. I don't know, like hijinks ensues. You know, they, Columbo ends up falling down a hill. You kind of have to see the episode, but um, Columbo goes down a hill to the car and he ends up running too fast and he tumbles over. It's kind of silly and slapstick, but um, yeah, anyways, I, I don't know what they're trying to do here. I guess just see if uh, it was better to make it funny. Didn't really work. So in the next scene, Columbo visits Mrs. Goodland's home and he finds out about the ransom letter that she's received, apparently. Uh, let's listen to the clip. The letter asks for $300,000 in small unmarked bills. $300,000? Well, that's a lot of money. I mean... Do you mind if I ask you, do you have access? Well, of course I don't have it, but Tony has a trust fund in an emergency like this. Ah, the trust fund. That's why you wanted me here. Well, Jarvis, I certainly knew you wouldn't help me raise the money any other way. I'm sorry, I don't quite understand about that trust fund. Well, you see, I'm co-administrator with the bank of a trust fund set up by Tony's father. And you, Catherine, should know of all people that he put enough strings in there to protect Tony from his own bad habits and grasping wives. I also know because Mr. Jameson told me on the telephone that there is an emergency clause for, well, for problems like this. Yes, there is that. Then you can't get the money. I mean, you can break the trust fund. Boy, that's a lucky thing. We can if the bank verifies the letter. And if I choose to vote in Tony's favor. Now, it's no use glaring at me like that. Blood is thicker than martinis. I'll go and see Jameson right away. Right, so Jarvis leaves to meet the guy at the bank and give his endorsement for the trust money. But after he does, um, Mrs. Goodland's lover, Ken Nichols, comes out of the other room, and Columbo gets a little awkward, like he doesn't know how to act, so he just kind of leaves. But as Mrs. Goodland uh, accosts him at the door and tells him that she and Tony lead separate lives and she doesn't care what he's thinking and, he, and she slams the door on him. The he knows scene. So Jarvis arrives at his large home and enters through the greenhouse. So Columbo is already there. He's rummaging around behind some orchids and he reveals himself. So apparently a gardener let him in. Jarvis looks pissed but he maintains his cool. Columbo subtly mentions that his wife would love one of these flowers, and Jarvis tells him that the one he's looking at is worth about $1,200. And Columbo says you could go broke with a hobby like this. The he knows scene must be on the cutting room floor because I don't remember being given any indication 
that Columbo was on to Jarvis, yet clearly he is. I mean, he's snooping around this greenhouse. He's dropping little references to needing money. He's mocking Jarvis's underlying or his under-the-surface disdain for his nephew. Let's listen to their conversation here. And to see this, I suppose. Oh, yes, sir. That's very important. I'd like to keep that for evidence. Good. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. It won't bite you. Your experts already verified that the fingerprints are Tony's and that the handwriting is his. Oh, he checked it out, did he? Oh, yes. Well, then there's no need to be so careful. Say, <clears throat> Kathy, a man standing over me with a making me write this. Driving in a corner country road. Shot at me. Start the forced off the road. Don't worry, I'm not hurt. That must have been a relief when you got to that part. Oh, yes, indeed. For the man, $300,000, whatever you do, don't tell me. No police. Sit tight, Dan. Your expert has told you, I'm sure, everything, including the text. Yeah, you know, they did in his way, but... And also that the money will be available. Yeah, that was a lucky thing, wasn't it? Mm. Also the fact of your being here jeopardizes my nephew's life. Now, supposing we were watched. Good point, sir. Absolutely right. Better run along. Uh, the uh, one or two little things I have, I guess they can wait until the... Uh, yeah. Now, it just hit me how much you must love these flowers. No, and you didn't go straight to the bank. I mean, with your nephew being kidnapped, and they told me you took the time to stop off at the nursery. You mean I'm being followed already? That you're interfering and you promised you wouldn't? Uh, I'm going to call up your superiors. No, there's no need to do that, sir. No, they've told me, and they've made it very clear. I'm to stay in touch, but until your nephew is released, believe me, we're way back. Way back. Nothing to worry about. In that case, I don't mind revealing that my nephew isn't worth a sack of peat moss. He's a wife-ridden weakling whom I've despised for years. If it wasn't for the fact that he's my only relative, I'd call up his captors and tell them that they're welcome to him. Right, so Jarvis handled that uh, pretty well. Um, he expressed his disdain for his nephew, um, but he justified why he's still helping to get him back despite that disdain. Okay, so Jarvis, Miss Goodland, and Ken are in the home waiting for a call, and Columbo and the other cops are in the surveillance van waiting. The phone rings, and it's Tony. He uses his exhausted voice to give instructions for Jarvis to bring the money to a gas station. Uh, so Jarvis leaves on the drop and Columbo and the boys clown car into an unmarked police car and follow behind. There's some saucy music on in the background. Jarvis arrives at the gas station and there is a fountain with three empty water jugs of different sizes and a briefcase bomb with instructions to place a jug with four liters of water on the scale to disarm... Oh, wait. That's a different movie. 
He just answers the ringing telephone, and Tony is completely out of character, and he's drinking alcohol from a flask, and he gives Jarvis further instructions on where to meet him, some deserted country road. So the boys are still following. Wilson pulls out some sophisticated night vision camera. He takes some pictures of Tony approaching the car with the mugger stalking over his face. He's dressed up like the mugger and getting the bag from Jarvis's car. Then Tony runs over the hill with the money bag. Jarvis pulls away and then picks up Tony on the other side of the hill. And Tony gets in the trunk of Jarvis's car. So the boys collect some footprints, evidence, at the point in the road where the exchange was made. Jarvis drives into the city with Tony in the trunk. So Columbo and Wilson pull over Jarvis and ask him about the drop. So Jarvis offers no help. He says the, ex the exchange kind of scared him. And he drives back to the shed in the country after talking with the cops for a minute. He lets Tony out of the trunk. They enter the shed. Tony takes out the money and expresses that he wants to use his portion of the money to get uh, his wife back. So Jarvis says no, and he pulls out a gun, and he kills Tony. So we finally have a murder. So the next day at Jarvis's greenhouse, Columbo arrives with a dying plant. He asks Jarvis for any suggestions that he has to revive the plant. Columbo starts asking questions and applying his methods. Let's listen to the clip. Listen, as long as I'm here, might as well bring up one or two little things I didn't get to before. Uh, your nephew's wrecked car, for instance. Uh, you know, we found that thing with the ignition and lights off and the gear in neutral. Neutral? But the letter said he was forced off the road. Perhaps they grabbed Tony and then pushed the car over the side to keep it out of sight, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it looks like, all right. Of course, only then one of them made that first telephone call to Mrs. Goodwin. Well, that was to make her believe the letter when she got it. She's a very hard woman to convince of anything, Lieutenant. Hmm. I wonder how they knew that. Funny. And those skid marks. I mean, they're really funny. Say, what is this thing, sir? That is a multicolored Catalea bulb from Brazil. From Brazil? You don't say, really? Skid marks, Lieutenant. Huh? Skid marks? Oh, yeah, they were marks of a heavier car on that road, too. But his Jaguar, you know, boy, they can really travel. I don't know how to have your car caught up with him. But they took a shot at him, isn't that what he said? Yeah, that's what the letter... Well, you know something? The line of flight of that bullet through the window. Well, that slug would have passed right through him. I mean, if he was driving a car. But it didn't. I mean, nothing. You know, no blood, nothing. Just a 32 caliber slug in the seat. Well, you see, Tony's been ducking things adroitly for years. <laughs> for god's sakes jarvis just keep your mouth shut did you notice Columbo's trick he mentions the skid marks then he changes the subject and then jarvis immediately brought it back because he was concerned about it same technique used in the last episode only more success this time so before Columbo leaves he confirms with jarvis that he owns a gun and Jarvis confirms that someone broke in and he took a couple shots at the burglar, but the burglar got away. This was a few years back. So they go into the house and Columbo really starts to get under Jarvis's skin with more insinuations and questions. And Columbo begins fawning over Jarvis's pool table. Let's listen to the clip. Oh, gee, this is magnificent. 
I asked you a question. I'm sorry, sir. I happen to love this game. I played it when I was a kid. And this is such a beautiful table here. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean to hold you up. You know, in my house, I don't have room for a table in my basement, even if I could afford one. Uh, I've got these pictures here, sir. Uh, these were taken with a starlight scope. That's a new camera. It's a very sophisticated instrument. I'd like you to take a look at them. Uh, you know, since you were right there, uh, right on the spot, so to speak. Where were these pictures taken from? All the way down at the bottom of the hill. They don't show very much. Which is kind of funny, too. You don't mind, do you? What was kind of funny, too? Uh... Not as rusty as I thought I was. Uh... What's funny is that, uh... The place where they ask you to deliver the ransom. You know, way up on top of the hill like that there, uh... I mean, it's almost as though they wanted to have a place that was exposed in order to be photographed. What do you think? I think it's very odd. So do I. I think this whole case is odd. You know what I mean? I mean, you got those skid marks and you got the bullet hole. I'll tell you, in most cases, you don't have any clues. You can't miss a shot. In this case, I got so many clues, they don't know where to start. You know, it's almost like they put them there just on purpose. You're the detective. Don't ask me for your answers. Oh, I can't miss a shot. Isn't that wonderful? Um, oh, there is one thing that I did want to ask you, sir. You know what this whole game is? It's all in the wrist. You just got to keep that loose. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was, uh, why do you think uh, they asked you to deliver the money instead of the wife? Because they probably knew that if Catherine had that much money in the car, she'd just keep on driving. I wonder how they knew that. Yes? It's for you, Colombo. Oh, I told him I was going to be here. I hope you don't mind, sir. Classic. So throughout that exchange, Colombo is shooting pool, and um, Jarvis is getting progressively more annoyed each time Colombo mentions that he can't miss a shot. Uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good scene. So then Colombo gets a call at the end of that clip there, and they inform that Tony has been found dead. So the next scene is um, at a marina. So Columbo and Mrs. Goodland are walking to her boat. She's wearing this orange pantsuit that I, I don't quite know how I feel about it. She's really defensive with Columbo. She's really just defensive in general. Uh, she still thinks he's judging her. Get over it, sweetheart. Ken is trying to come to Mrs. Goodland's rescue, and Columbo asks her some meaningless question. It doesn't matter. Uh, when he's about to leave, he says, uh, one more thing, and then he drops a bomb on Ken. Let's listen to the clip. Oh, there's one little thing. Uh, you know, this is going to sound kind of silly, I guess. Take it for what it's worth. You see, somebody tried to convince me that you had a lover, Mrs. Goodwin. And not only that, this person, Gloria West, Young girl, that was her name, Gloria West. Anyway, she said that uh, this mysterious lover of yours, some guy with deep suntan, that he'd uh, go away and get out of your life forever if your husband gave him $50,000. I'm sure it's just malicious gossip. Probably shouldn't have mentioned it. However, uh, for what it's worth. So the next scene... Gloria West arrives by car at Jarvis's home. She runs around the back to the greenhouse. 
Gloria tells Jarvis that she thinks that Columbo thinks that Tony faked his own kidnapping and that his accomplice may have killed him. She also tells him that Tony was killed with a 32 caliber, and she remembered that Tony had a 32, but he gave it away. So Jarvis, at the same time, is discreetly reaches into a drawer and picks up a gun, even though he's standing right next to Gloria and somehow she doesn't see it, as he may have to shoot her um, if she's going to implicate him. So Gloria says that she remembered that Tony said that he gave it to his wife. So Gloria thinks that his wife may have been his accomplice and may have killed him. So Jarvis puts the gun away now um, without Gloria being aware of it. He sees that he may have an opportunity to frame Mrs. Goodland. Gloria says that she heard on the radio that there was a reward and she wants to make a claim to it. So Jarvis placates her with false promises and then gets rid of her. Now Jarvis sneaks into Mrs. Goodland's bedroom like a ninja while she's sleeping. She has really got the jimmy legs. She's thrashing around under the covers like a shark in a bathtub. So Jarvis stuffs the murder weapon gun into a suitcase in the room and takes away the gun that was already in the desk drawer. He gets out of there and returns back to his greenhouse. Suddenly, he hears sirens getting closer, and then Sergeant Wilson enters the greenhouse. So apparently, Jarvis asked him to come over before he got the gun from Mrs. Goodland's room. Very risky. He gives over the gun to Sergeant Wilson and asks him to have it checked because earlier, Columbo insinuated that it could have been the murder weapon. So now Columbo is at a late night open window street restaurant. Looks like something that would be successful in a club district. He's ordering some chili. Let's listen to the clip. How do you want your chili, Lieutenant? With or without beans? Last night I had it with beans. Right. I would have without beans. Right. right. Lieutenant, what are you doing here? I'm just ordering some chili. Would you excuse us, please? Sir, uh, didn't you get my report on the Jarvis Goodland statement? Yes. I found that very interesting. Very interesting. That gun he gave you? Checked out okay with ballistics, huh? Sure, of course. Sir, uh, he's cracked the case for us. I have a search warrant and two units right here ready to go. If we turn Catherine Goodland's place upside down, I, I guarantee you we'll find that murder weapon. Go find it. You really think so? Well, unless she's already gotten rid of it. Tell you what. You go ahead. Go ahead on your own. You find anything, you let me know. Well, sir, if you don't mind my taking charge for a moment. Not at all. Thank you, sir. Good luck to you. Charlie, pull it out! Who's that? Wilson? Very nice fella. Been a big help to me on this case. That's a good clip. He's really mocking Wilson in that clip. He knows that Wilson's being used by Jarvis and is encouraging his making a fool of himself. So nice little wave to Wilson, too, as the car pulls away. It's good, good mocking, condescending kind of wave. So now at Mrs. Goodlin's home, Mrs. Goodlin is taking Wilson to where she thinks the gun is kept, but it's not there. So Wilson has the search team come in and start searching the house. So Jarvis arrives, 
Grover, one of the cops, brings out a nesting doll style suitcase with two bags inside. And the innermost bag appears to be the same bag used in the ransom money drop. Uh-oh. They keep searching and find the gun hidden in metal shoe tree bags. How did it get there? I don't know. Wilson has Grover take the gun to ballistics to find out if it's the murder weapon. He says if it is, he will take Mrs. Goodland into custody. The Get So Jarvis arrives back at home. He's about to get a drink when he hears a noise from the greenhouse. He enters and surprise, surprise, it's Columbo. Jarvis is not in the mood, and just as he's telling Columbo to get lost, Grover, Wilson, and Mrs. Goodland arrive. Columbo takes the opportunity to embarrass Wilson, and then he gets the lab report from Grover, and Jarvis demands to know what's going on. Let's listen to the clip. I have some bullets here. This one is from the wrecked car, a 32 caliber, proven by ballistics to have been fired from the murder weapon. This one is from the body of the victim, also 32 caliber, and proven by ballistics to have been fired from the same weapon as the first bullet. We know all about that. Tell him, young man. Uh, both. Both of those came from the gun that was found in her house, and uh, Sergeant Grover said they confirmed it as the murder weapon. Right. That's quite right. Sergeant, I don't want you to feel badly, because without you, I'd never gotten this idea. I mean, those technical things that you're so good at. You see, I've never used a metal detector before. That's why it took me nearly an hour. But you know these things really work? Amazing. You see that? What is it? Third bullet. Also a 32 caliber. And also proven by ballistics to have been fired by the same weapon that fired the first two bullets. Mr. Goodwin, I just don't know how you're going to explain this. But why should I have to? That's right. That's right, sir. That's what I was doing over there a little while ago. I found this third bullet buried here in this pile of dirt. I guess it was one of those bullets that you fired at that guy who broke in here about a year ago. You said you only hit dirt. I don't know how you're going to explain, sir, how the same gun that fired this bullet in the dirt ended up tonight in Mrs. Goodwin's dressing room. And there you have it. Uh, it's kind of a meh episode, you know. It's a good one, but um, there are much better ones out there. Okay, so Ray Meland, born 1907, died 1986. Been in a ton of movies. This is his second Columbo episode, which is great. A uh, couple big movies, uh, The Big Clock, Dial M for Murder. It's a Hitchcock. Big Clock is a classical noir. ton of other films. Okay, Bob Dishy is in this one. Sandra Smith. Bradford Dillman. Uh, born 1930, died 2018, only Columbo credit. He was the uh, narrator in Monstrosity, which is a movie that I've gone over in one of my recent episodes from the uh, Mill Creek Sci-Fi Collection, Volume 3. Can death be outwitted? Is the secret of eternal life just around that corner? 
Today, medical science patches up mutilated bodies, transplanting human skin, eyes, limbs, even vital organs. Is the next step the transplantation of the human brain? Oh, you could have fooled me. I would have had no idea that that was him. I'm pretty good with voices, um, but no, I no, I had no idea that was the same person. Uh, he played a wonderful victim, uh, really foolish and naive. I mean, he put himself in an extremely vulnerable position by being a willing participant in his own fake kidnapping. Very foolish. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, the most crucial game starring Robert Culp in his second appearance and Dean Stockwell. Here's a brief summary. Paul Hanlon is the general manager of the Los Angeles professional football franchise. The new franchise owner is a layabout, Eric Wagner, son of the deceased former owner in an attempt to carry out the wishes of his previous boss to create a sports empire, Hanlon murders the younger Wagner who stands in his way. Tune in next week. Thank you.